Today we're going to be reading Titus 3, chapter, or Titus 3, 1 through 7. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy to our, toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness of but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Great job. Great job. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, it's good to be able to gather uh, with your people and to celebrate uh, the new life that you give us, to celebrate uh, the work and the grace and the mercy you show us and the work you do for us. Uh, God, we are aware uh, of empty seats today. Uh, as many, we've got many visitors, we have a full house, and yet we, we do feel the heaviness uh, of those that are missing today. And we just commit those lives to you and continue to pray uh, just for your grace and your mercy uh, in each of these families. And, and we just are so dependent upon you. And so God, as we turn to your word, we pray that the same uh, power uh, that raised uh, Jesus from the dead, the same spirit who was alive and at work, and Dave and Johnny, and God, we, just, we pray that same spirit will be among us today in a way that reveals to us your power and your glory and your majesty. The same Spirit will be alive and at work in us today in such a way that we behold you for who you are and we magnify you because we better see your work in salvation. And Father, we pray that the same Spirit would bring those who are dead to life. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. We live in a very broken world. I probably don't have to tell you that. You probably can just look back over your own life over the last, I don't know, two hours, two minutes, two weeks, two months, and think of needs that you and your family have. Maybe they're personal needs, financial needs, spiritual, emotional needs, needs of all kinds. Maybe you've uh, been affected by the pandemic financially. Maybe it's put a, a tough spot on your job, and so you've, been, uh, you've, you've got bills that need to be paid. You've got uh, stuff around the house that needs to be improved. Kids need stuff. You need a new car. There's, there are financial needs that we all, we all have. Maybe you've got some health needs, maybe specific to, to COVID or cancer, or some of you have been through both miraculously. Somehow you are doing that. Uh, maybe you've got uh, health needs piled on top of financial needs. Maybe you've got relational needs. Maybe you're looking at your marriage or kids or parents or something and you feel the, the need for those things to be repaired and restored. Maybe you've got uh, just your own emotional needs, anxiety or stress or worry, whatever else it may be. Maybe you didn't have any needs until I started talking about them and now you feel like you've got uh, a lot of needs. There are many personal needs we have, but there's also lots of societal needs, right? If you zoom out from your own life, Man, there's so many needs all around us. Uh, maybe you see the biggest needs around our, our country and the brokenness and all the different ways our, our, our nation needs healing. 
Uh, maybe you are aware of the needs of poverty. I mean, there's so many ways just our own country is affected by poverty. And around the world, hunger, we see the need people have to eat. Uh, we need to end human trafficking. We need to end modern-day slavery. We need to end abortion. We need to end this pandemic. We need this vaccine rollout to hurry up, you know, and come on, you know. We need, we need not an end just to COVID, but to cancer and to AIDS and all kinds of other needs. We need more jobs for people who want to work, and we need more people to want to work, you know. We have all kinds of needs. We have a need for prison reform and immigration reform. We need education reform. We need millions of students who are falling behind right now because of an education system that's struggling in the pandemic. They have educational needs. We need to save the glaciers and the trees and the whales and all of it, right? There are so many needs around us. Some of you, like me, we just need a nap, you know? Like, we just need a good night's sleep. There are so many needs. But I want to put before you today one need that is more important than all of those. A greater need than any and all of those needs. It's more important than COVID antibodies. It's more necessary than a national stimulus package. It's more needed than even my afternoon nap today. We have a single need. Every single person has this exact same need, and all of us collectively have this need. Every single one of us need to be born again. All of us need new life. Because apart from regeneration, a new life that God gives us, our needs are not just temporary or passing or hard for a moment. They are eternal. Apart from new life in Christ, we will be eternally separated from God. And so God's Word makes clear to us our greatest need is not anything the government can do, anything your school can do, anything your parents can do for you, anything even you can do for yourself, as we'll see. We need God to give us the gift of new life. Because apart from it, we are dead in our sins. We are spiritually lifeless. It's a spiritual disease that's way more deadly than any physical one. And we need God to change us. Titus 3.5 calls uh, that new life. It says the washing of regeneration. So regeneration is just a big word that means new life, life again. It means rebirth. We were all born physically, and God's Word says we need to be born spiritually in Him. So today at the end of the service, we are celebrating for nine people that God has already done that. And I don't always uh, you know, try to align my message to be go along exactly with baptism, but we've had this on the calendar for a while now. And so as I, I felt God's calling to, to preach through Titus, one of the things He used to, to pull me that, to that was this, this passage, and that we could preach through Titus and Lord willing get to regeneration by today. And that's how it happens. So if you're new, we've been preaching through the book of Titus uh, here in the new year in 2021, and we're coming to chapter 3 that Camden just read for us. Uh, today. So regeneration is, is why we're preaching this. Uh, and as we've gone through Titus, we've noticed uh, what we've given as the series title, that Titus, uh, for, for Paul writing to Titus, this book so closely aligns these two things, sound doctrine and being zealous for good works, that we have to have right beliefs about God in order for our actions to be right. It's so easy for us in our moralistic society to just say, hey, get your act together. Do the right thing. Be a better person. But God's Word makes it very clear the order here. Our beliefs come first. 
and then our actions follow it. And so today we come to the very central piece of our beliefs. It's central to Titus and it's central to the, the entire Bible. Because the core doctrine we're getting to today is the gospel. It's the gospel in your life and in my life. It's how God brings us to new life. And in order to celebrate the, the good news, that's what gospel means, in order to celebrate the good news, the, the sound doctrine, the good news there, we also have to understand the bad news, don't we? To have full, the full doctrine here of the right understanding of God, we've got to understand our greatest problem, our greatest need. And if you know Christ, it's a problem that was in the past. If you don't know Christ, it's a, it's a problem now. But if, even for us that, are, that know Christ, it's, it's something we can look back on to better understand and praise God today. So if we uh, know Christ, then this is true for us. We were once choosing to sin and captive to sin. All of us who know Christ, this is in the past, we were once choosing to sin and captive to sin. Now, we are still all sinners, but if we know Jesus, that means that in the past we were deliberate, willful, captive to sin before God's work in our lives. That's what verse 3 makes clear here in Titus 3. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to Titus. And notice that he starts with, for we ourselves. For we ourselves. So he's including himself in this group. And there is so much humility there, isn't there? And then we know some of the Apostle Paul's background. He was a Pharisee, a legalist, and he murdered people who went against his beliefs. So we understand his, his sin. Titus, we, we don't know a whole bunch about his background. He seemed to be raised in a Gentile home, so we assume there was some sin there. But, but honestly, we don't have to know much of their background because it's our background too. Apart from Christ, all of us are sinners. All of us are far from God. But there is humility in being able to admit that. There's humility in being able to admit that. And every time I came to that spot in the sermon this week, I thought, of, I thought of Dave Moore, who'd be sitting right there. Dave, Dave had such humility about his own sin. He, he'd be the first one to tell you where, he's, where he, in his past and just the past week, he has not followed the Lord. And yet, he was seeking after God. Man, just so much humility. There's, there's no room for arrogance when we come to sin. Because all of us have been there. All of us have been there. I wonder if you can put yourself in that category this morning. Can you, can you put yourself in that same boat to say, I, I, I am a sinner? I, I may have told this before, but I, I got called you know, by a family member one time to go visit somebody in the hospital I'd never met. It's on his deathbed. And I, I asked him, I said, do you, do you believe in Jesus? He said, do you believe in Jesus? He said, no. He said, I said, do you, do you believe that you're a sinner? He said, no. No. To his last breath, no. Well, we, we have to have the humility to see the ways that we have fallen short of the glory of God, that we do not measure up to what we should be. And before God saved us, we were all there. Verse 3 said, uh, captures for that just how bad this was. It says, For we ourselves were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing all of our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Ouch. Pretty personal. We were once choosing to sin and captive to sin. So that means we, were, we were deliberate. We, we wanted to sin. We were willful sinners. We voluntarily chose to go against God. The first word he uses is we are, we are foolish. Uh, Psalm 14, 1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. 
And whether you say that out loud or just live like it, we sin when we act like God's not God. And usually what we do is we put ourselves in that place. We pretend we are God. And that's foolish. It's foolish. God is God, but in our sin we don't act like that He is. Which leads to our next, the next word He uses, we are disobedient. That is willfully, deliberately choosing to go against God's Word. We play dumb sometimes, but pretty early on we learn the difference between right and wrong, don't we? Pretty early on we really know what the difference is, and yet we choose, we deliberately choose to go against God's way. Man, as a parent, I just, I see this all the time, don't you? We just, we see this in our kids, deliberate disobedience. One of the most frustrating things about our kids' misbehavior, right? We, we say all the times, I th- say things like, I just told you not to scream when I was on the phone. I just told you not to make a mess right before your mom comes home. I, I just said, you know, pick up your toys, whatever else, and now you're deliberately disobeying me. Uh, those words have come out of my mouth. And, and as they do, I have to stop and go, hmm, I wonder what God was, could have just said that about me, right? We deliberately go against God's will so often. And there may be a time where that seemed like a good way to live. It seemed like, hey, we can do, do whatever we want. But we look back now and we say, I, I was led astray. Verse 3 says that we were led astray. We were living in sin and we're following after the wrong leader. So many times people who, who, who go away from the Lord or go away from the church or, or go away from their family or something else, the, the mindset is, hey, I, I'm not going to be, be subject to any authority. I'm going to be my own boss. I don't want the government. I don't want my parents. I don't want anybody else telling me what to do. I'm going to do my own thing, right? I'm living a lifestyle that they want to live. But there's nothing new under the sun. You know who's actually leading that train? <laughs> The devil himself. When we go out thinking we're on our own way, we're really being led astray by the things of this world. There is no new thing to chase. It's just a different leader. Everybody's following somebody. Are you led astray or are you following the Lord? When we're led astray, it leads to a very dangerous place. Verse 3 says we were slaves to various passions and pleasures. Before Christ sets us free, we are in bondage. You see, in our sin, we, we chose to be there. But apart from Christ, we couldn't get out of there, even if we wanted to. Now, apart from Christ, we don't want to get out of that sin. We want to live in that way. But even if we wanted to get out of it, we couldn't get out of it. We are slaves to passions and pleasures. We are in bondage. That's a very strong, strong word. It's Satan who has us captive, and it's our own desires that are taking control of us. We, we can't break free from these chasing passions and pleasures. Now, if you've dealt with an addiction, you feel this in a very real way. But that's not the only category. But so many times our sins are like an addiction. They are this pattern in our life over and over again that we, we can't break free of. Not just any kind of substance addiction, but lust or foul language or lying or laziness or procrastination. We, we set up these habits, these ruts in our life, and the more we do it, the deeper that rut gets, and eventually it's a canyon we can't get ourselves out of. Our sin is that way. It is so deep that apart from a rescuer, we would never get out of our sin. We are captive. We are bound to our sin. Fourth century theologian named Augustine said, after the fall, after the sin of Adam and Eve, we are unable not to sin. I like double negatives being used by theologians. I can tell my grammar teachers, no, 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 you know. 
unable not to sin. It's double negative meaning we can't stop sinning. We can't help it. We are stuck in this way in our nature. We are unable not to sin, captive to it. With a messed up relationship with God, of course, that's going to lead to a messed up relationship with others. Verse 3 finishes by saying, We are passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Doesn't that sound awful? That just sounds miserable. And in our sin, that's where we're stuck. And we were choosing it. And after choosing it, we become captive to it. We had no other way out. And we didn't even want our way out. We were just living in our sin, chasing after Satan. That is bad news. It's really bad news. But if you see the depth of that bad news, then you can see the glory of the good news. Only if we can recognize how bad things were do we recognize how great our Savior is. If we want to hear the sound doctrine of the book of Titus, the gospel, the good news, we have to understand our need for it. Many times God meets our other needs, our physical needs, our emotional needs, our financial needs. He's probably going to give me a nap today. You know, He gives all kinds of good things. But there is a deep need that all of us need that's more important than any of those. And it comes in His Son, Jesus. I want you to hear the good news today summed up for us in, in three words in verse 5. It says, He saved us. He saved us. So today I'm asking that either for the first time or just in a fresh way, as you see the depth of our sin and the glory of our God, that you would praise God that He saved us. Praise God that He saved us. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Praise God. He rescued us. He brought us out of sin. We were once captive. We were bound in our sin. We could not get out of the canyon that was so deep. But God Himself reached down and rescued us from the pit. We needed salvation, and God is the only one who could do it. And in His Son, He became the one who did it for us. It's finished. It's accomplished. And it's worth lingering on that for just a minute because I want you to notice what this verse does not say. It does not say in verse 3, leading into verse 5, we were were disobedient and slaves to various passions and pleasures of of the day. But one day, we got our act together. One day, we decided to be different. One day, we chose a new path. And one day, we made a choice that changed the direction of our lives forever. No, that's not how salvation happens. You and I didn't make ourselves saved. It says, He saved us. Wow. Now there are aspects of our salvation once applied to us where we actively participate. You you are not a a robot or a puppet held on strings. Okay, don't mishear me. You, You are called to repent. You are called to believe. Once God has brought that out in you and you you repent and believe you're called to be holy you're called to persevere in the faith your will is involved but it's important for us to distinguish who started this and who gets the credit it's really important however uh the 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 when we we put all the passages on the table the, the the overwhelming emphasis of the bible is that god gets the credit he 
saved us. That's verse 5. Verse, uh, Ephesians 2.8, just to give you one more, but there's dozens, if not hundreds. Ephesians 2.8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. When he says this is, your not, this is not your own doing, he's referring both to grace and to faith. Even faith itself is a gift given to us. We would never choose God apart from His work first. He had to draw us to Himself. He had to give us that faith. That's the good news. He saved us. There can be a tendency in our circles, if you're kind of a Baptist or evangelical or something here, like there's a tendency, to, and it comes from a good place. I really believe this comes from a good place. We are, we are evangelistic. We want people to come to know the Lord. So one word we'll use all the time is a decision. You know, and that's that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad. We want people to decide to follow the Lord. We'll put it in our songs. You know, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. You know, these are these are good things. But I think it's also important for us to put the emphasis where the Bible does. There's not a place, and I, I really searched. So maybe you know, correct me if I'm wrong. But best I can, there's not a place where the word decision is connected to salvation in the New Testament. This is God's work. This is God's work. And I want to show you that here in Titus 3. I want, I want you to, to come away today praising God, not patting ourselves on the back for something good we did. I want you to come away today rejoicing that God has done this in you. Or if you don't yet know Him, I want you to, as the, the glory of God is lifted high, as your heart is being pulled, say, there's apparently somebody trying to tell me something. And that pull is God Himself. And even before I show you how, how awesome this is in Titus 3, I want you to hear the, the result of this. How, how dangerous it would be if you and I were the ones who ultimately decided our salvation. If, if my salvation was dependent upon a decision I made, that would scare me to death. You know why? Because I can change my mind. I can change my mind. My, my four-year-old Micah, uh, Lois is very committed to her favorite color. It's been pink since she could talk, right? You ask Micah today what his favorite color is, it's going to be different than it was yesterday. It's going to be different again next week. I may not change that, you know, that often, but I can change my mind at the split second. And as confident as I feel today in my faith, what if tragedy strikes? What if the, the worst thing happens? Or what if I just get lukewarm and bored? If, I, if my faith, if my, my assurance of my salvation was resting on how confident I feel in me, man, I would be hanging by a thread. I'd be hanging by a thread. But there's a much better news. That our salvation is not held in our hand. It's held in God's hand. Quite, quite literally. If, uh, this is in John, nope, turn the wrong page here. John chapter 10, uh, 27 to 30. This is Jesus speaking. He said, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Praise God that He is holding us. If this was dependent upon me holding on to Him, those hands are going to grow very tired and very weak at the slightest turbulence, at the slightest trouble. Praise God that He saves us. So I want to show you just five different ways this shows up in just our few verses here in Titus so that as you leave today, more than ever before or for the very first time, you're saying, praise God that He saved us. 
Rejoice first in this. God saved us by sending His Son and His Spirit. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. Last week we hung a little light right here to represent the first appearing of God on earth. When Jesus came in the incarnation 2,000 years ago. You want to know how I know for sure my salvation is not up to me? I wasn't there 2,000 years ago. My salvation was accomplished on a cross outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. That is where my salvation was paid for. He said, it is finished. He didn't say, it is finished until you, Philip, decide to follow me. Then it will be finished. You know, It is finished. It's done. It's accomplished. Our salvation is dependent upon an act in history, a moment in time of what God did, and He did it on a cross. He paid for it. And He did it out of the goodness and loving kindness of His own heart. This is who God is. He is good. We can trust Him. And not just that, but after Christ ascended to be back with the Father, the Father and the Son sent the Spirit. Verse 5, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So this is a reference both to Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and on the day that God brought that faith out of you and He sent His Spirit to live inside of you. Jesus accomplished it on the cross and the Spirit who now lives in your heart is the one who is holding you fast to the Father. He's transformed our lives. And God is not just with us, but He is in us by the Spirit. Apart from that, there would be no salvation. And we didn't earn any of that. The second way He's at work, God saved us by His mercy, not our works. Repeated over and over again in the New Testament. Here it is in verse 5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. It's not as if 2,000 years ago, God had this grand chalkboard and he tracks all of humanity's good deeds and bad deeds. He's tallying them. All right, one bad, two good, two good, one bad, you know, back and forth. And then there came this magic moment where the, the good deeds outweighed the bad deeds. And God said, boom, now I'm going to show up and help them. Because they finally earned me coming to them. No, that is not how it happened. 2,000 years ago, you know what our state was? We were sinners. Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners... Christ died for me. And the same thing that is true in history is true in your life. God is not waiting for you. If you don't yet know Him, He is not waiting for you to get your act together and to clean yourself up and to be presentable in church and, and to, to, to get rid of that habit and to, to change something and then He will save you. No, it goes the other way. He saves you and then He loves you too much to leave you in your filth and so He cleans you up. It's not your works. It's not your works. It's His love, His mercy. Third way, God saved us by bringing us to life. That's what we're celebrating today by baptism. Verse 5, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. This water does not save you. I always tell kids, churches don't have special, like, you know, holy water. It's just water out of a tap, you know. It's regular water. But what we're doing here physically and tangibly for people to see represents what God has done for us in our hearts. He has washed us. He has purified us. The blood of Christ washes over us and pays for our sins. God has washed us and brought us now to new life. Regeneration, we said, means to be born again. That's what Jesus told a Pharisee named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Nicodemus was rightly confused. Born again, how can I go back into my mother's womb? That doesn't make any sense. But Jesus was talking about a new birth. Our first birth was physical. We were in a woman's womb and then we came into this world. To be spiritually reborn is that God takes our heart and makes it beat spiritually. We were dead and now we are made alive. Ephesians 2 again says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins. Verse 4 and 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with, by, with Christ, by grace you have been saved. I, I love what John Piper says about this. He says, Before we knew Jesus, we were not just in the doghouse. You know, somebody's in trouble, you, you know, say, Hey, they're in the doghouse. You know what the dog can do in the doghouse? He can whine. He can, he can mope. When we're in trouble, we can, we can, we can say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I, 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 no, I didn't. Well, before we knew Jesus, we were not just in the doghouse. We were in the morgue. We were in the cemetery. You know, you know what we can do? You know how much help we can ask for from God when we're in the cemetery? No, we, we apart from Christ, aren't just in trouble. We are spiritually dead. That's why it's God that gets the credit for our salvation because He brings us to life. You are no more responsible for your second birth in Christ than you are for your first birth when you came into this world out of your mother's womb. God gets all the credit. He saved us. Fourth, God saved us by making payment for our sins. Verse 7, so that being justified by His grace. Justified is a legal term, a term you would use in a courtroom, a court of law. So we, when we have sinned, there is a punishment that our, our sin is due. If you stole somebody's car and then wrecked it, destroyed it, you would go before a court, and let's say the, the court you know, say, decided that that car was 50, worth $15,000. I obviously have nothing, no idea what law is. So anybody that knows law, you can be like, you don't know how this works. I'm just making it up. But you, you'll get it. You go before the court of law, and they say, Sir, you owe $15,000 to this family to pay for this car, and because of the destruction, there's going to be a jail sentence. We'll call it three years. I don't know. Whatever, you know. There, there is somebody who can keep that from happening. It's the person who owned the car, right? They could say, listen, judge, I'm not pressing charges. I'll pay for the car and don't put him in jail. It, he sinned against me, and so I'm, I'm saying don't, don't push any charges. I, our sin, even if it's a, a, a foul word, mentioned to somebody else. It's a, it's a lie you told. It's, it's something with people. All of our sin is against God because you are created in the image of God. So is the person you're cussing at. They're created in the image of God. Anything we've ever done that's wrong is against God because this is His world. We're living in it. It's always against God. So the only one who can pay for our sins is God. And on that day, on a cross 2,000 years ago, Jesus paid for them all. He paid for them all. For all of His children, He paid for our sins. Somebody had to pay, and Jesus was willing to do it. Fifth and finally, God saved us by making us heirs to eternal life. Verse 7, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You know what an heir is, right? Somebody who has a right to the inheritance. Somebody who's going to get some of the, the cut at the end. Look at this transformation. Look at this life change. You and I were dead in our sins. No heartbeat. Not just that we were brought to life, 
but we got adopted into God's family. And that means for all of eternity, we get to enjoy His riches, the glory of His kingdom. Salvation is a gift, a free gift, a miraculous gift that in God is given to you. And He calls us to believe it, to receive it. He calls us to enjoy this gift that He's given. Today we are, we are celebrating baptism and it is, it is right and good to congratulate these nine people, to pat them on the back and say we're proud of them. But there's a, a reason we do baptism the way we do it. You know what's not going to happen? We're, we're not going to ask Camden to come up here and uh, recite that, that scripture from memory and uh, give us a song and a dance. And if we all score him above 8.0, then he gets to baptize himself. You know? No, we, he doesn't have to earn this today. And he's also not going to do it to himself, right? He's going to walk in here and his dad is going to say, I baptize you, Camden, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Somebody else baptizes you. You don't baptize yourself because you didn't save yourself. This person now baptizing you is a representation that God has worked a miracle in your heart that only God can do. And He does it to His praise and to His glory so that all may worship Him. If you don't yet know that grace and you are, you're being tugged by it, you're, you're saying, there's something here i got to know about. That's God. That's His Spirit at work in you even now. And we pray that today you would come to faith. If you've got some questions, we would love to talk with you. But today is a day where we get to celebrate and praise God because He saved us.